And I am surprised to see you guys today because uh, the world was supposed to end last Saturday. Did you know that? September 23rd? And uh, that's what a guy named David Mead said. He claimed the world was going to end Saturday, September 23rd, when a mysterious planet, X, was going to collide with the Earth. And, uh, well, needless to say, he's now had to change his date. He had it off a little bit. Uh, you going to stay up here for my whole message, or are you just hanging out up here? I, oh, I'm just wondering. I'm like, this is, we, could we do what they do in the Baptist church, and could you just start playing behind me for the whole thing? That'd be great. And I want to tell you, church, come on. Woo. Anyway. Uh, this guy built his whole theory, back to the notes, uh, this guy built his whole theory on, uh, on the number 33, did you know this, and uh, actually I think I'd preach better if you would do that, would you, I mean, seriously, I really, I got, I got involved in the wrong movement, I think I was a Baptist at heart or something, I don't know, but, um, but anyway, he, he says, hey, my whole thing is based on the number 33, and uh, Jesus lived for 33 years. He said the name Elohim, which is the name of God for the Jews, was mentioned 33 times. He said this is very biblically significant and numerically significant. And he said September 23rd is 33 days since August 21st, which was the solar eclipse. And of course then, Jesus is going to turn on September 23rd. Well, the reaction on Twitter was predictable to this and widespread. Uh, these aren't that funny, but this is just how some people reacted to it. Uh, one guy says, well, we were, I survived the end of the world in 99, 2006, 2012, 2015, and 2017. We are legends. How about this guy? He goes, uh, I don't want to brag or anything, but it's like the fifth end of the world, and I survived. Hashtag end of the world. But I really like this guy. He said, me on the 24th, after telling my landlord that I will pay rent on the 25th, thinking the world would end on the 23rd of September. Oh, my. So, I hope you didn't do that. I hope you paid all your bills. Now, it's curious to me why people continue to predict the second coming of Christ, even when Jesus himself said, the angels or the Son of Man, they don't even know the date or the time. So why would we speculate about days and times when even Jesus himself says, I, I, I don't know the date or the time? Now, in my experience, Christian people do one of two things when it comes to the second coming of Christ. On one hand, they might underemphasize the importance of it. Because it seems difficult to understand, they simply don't study it. They don't spend any time really thinking about it. But the other side is also bad, and that's they overemphasize it. And in fact, it dominates their thinking. They get caught up in theories and speculation. They can even become very impatient with people who disagree with their concepts and their ideas, and they don't keep the main thing the main thing. But friends, I want to say a couple of things right up front as we answer this question, the second coming of Christ. What happens then? The first thing is your view of end times is not a salvation issue. You can have different views or opinions on, on end times. And no matter what you believe about the second coming, it's not going to make a bit of difference regarding when or how the Lord actually comes. In other words, Jesus is not checking in with you to see what you believe and then he'll make his determination about when he comes. No, he's going to come based on his timing, and whenever the Father says, now is the moment, well, that's when he's going to come. So no matter what you believe about this, it's not a salvation issue. Second thing I'd say is this is just one message on this topic, okay? And uh, it's not an exhaustive study. It's not intended to be. And today, I'm going to stay focused on the main things of Scripture, what's clear in Scripture, and I'm going to avoid a lot of the more speculative theories, okay? 
And the third thing I would say is there is a lot of value in studying the second coming of Christ. Because, first of all, it's true. And secondly, it really should make a difference in how we live our lives every day. The key message is trust the Lord and be ready for His coming. Now, you parents, what is the single greatest question that, that's asked uh, to moms and dads by their kid when on vacation? Do you know? Right. How much further are we there yet? It's that annoying question that we try to figure out as parents, how long do we, because we say, when they're five and we say it's six hours, they have no concept of time. When my kids were young, I tried to say something like this, it's six SpongeBob episodes, and then we'll be there, all right? We'll be there in six SpongeBob episodes. But it's difficult to know uh, how to answer that question, but at some point in that conversation, you're just going to end up saying this, look, would you just trust me? It's going to be fine. We're going to get there. I'm taking care of the details. You sit back, relax, just look out your own window and don't touch your sibling, all right? We're going to make it there eventually, okay? And if not, I'm going to stop this car or I'm going to turn it around. And you're going to wish that you had stopped asking me that question. Oh, yeah, I've been in your car. So that's the, this is the message, trust and prepare. That's the message for kids on, the, on a journey, and that's the message for us as we think about the second coming. Now, let's get into this question, what will happen at the second coming? And I provided a notes page for you. And also, by the way, out there in the lobby is the notes page from last week that I had not done. But I had enough people say, hey, we really, there's a lot of content here. We want to keep that. And so I prepared a notes page. Last week's has the answers all filled in for you. This week's has a bunch of blanks, okay? There'll be a quiz at the end of the five weeks. So good, good luck on that. Here's the key idea, a visible return of Jesus when he comes, number one, every eye is going to see him. We know that. Matthew 24, verse 30 says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. And I love that, that phrase, that all, all will mourn. Some will mourn in celebration. Some will mourn in remorse. But all people everywhere will mourn. And it is possible to mourn in celebration. I've told you before, the greatest worship moment I've been in was in a funeral of a girl who died in college unexpectedly. And when the place was filled up with people and they began to sing and worship, and one individual was singing a song that had to do with heaven, and it was so powerful and so emotional and so visible, you could actually picture heaven in your own mind. And I'm just... My, my eyes are flooded with tears. My hands are raised as high as they could be raised. I could not speak in that moment when the parents and family leapt to their feet because they could now picture heaven and their daughter walking on streets of gold, seeing Jesus, and then the entire place erupted. I mean, it was quite a worship moment. I believe that it is possible to mourn with celebration. And so some will mourn with celebration. Some will mourn in remorse, but every eye will see him. Secondly, Jesus is personally returning to earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So how, he, how did he go into heaven? He ascended into heaven, and then he went back to be with the Father. In the second coming, the sky will open, he will descend, and will come back just as he left. And he will come as a conquering king. Revelation 19 Verse 11, 
I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on them that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is like a sharp sword with which he was to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe is, is high, and his name written on it, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The first time he came as a baby, humble, in a manger. The second time he will come with power, and every knee will bow before him. Every eye will see him. This moment of a conquering king coming with the wrath and fury of God and also with receiving those to himself who have followed him. Fourthly, he's going to be heralded by the shout of an archangel and the blast of a heavenly trumpet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is quite a scene. The trumpet, the shout of the archangel, every eye will see him. Then this army coming with him, and not only that, He's also accompanied by an army of angels, the Bible says. Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Notice it says, all the angels with Him. I mean, they're not going to be hanging out in heaven. They are on a mission, gang. I'm thinking ten thousands upon ten thousands of angels coming with the Lord. All of them. And they will come as a king. Let's put it this way. You will not miss this moment. You will not be asleep. It will not be possible. The Bible says every knee will bow and all will mourn, either in celebration or in remorse, but none of us will miss this moment. Now, after that, they said there's a resurrection of the dead. Every person who has ever lived or died will be brought back to life in order to face God's judgment. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ we will all be made alive. Now, he's, not, uh, he's talking about your body, your spirit, when you die, just like we talked about last week. As soon as you die, your next moment is with the Lord. Your spirit goes to be with the Lord. Your body goes into the grave. Uh, but at the second coming, there is this reuniting of body, mind, and spirit. So he's talking about the second coming, your body being resurrected, and uh, that is going to be quite a sight. When angels, the Lord, the trumpet call, now the dead is being, are being raised again. Raised again. Good and bad, saints and sinners. John chapter 5, verse 28. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good, will, what is good, will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will be condemned. He's not talking about you're being saved by good works, by the way. This is like last week, 1 Corinthians 3. What's the foundation? Anybody remember? The foundation is Jesus and the salvation that he offers. If you have that salvation, then you are in the Lamb's book of life. But after that, you are building in your life good things or bad things, depending. And your reward, the Bible says, will be based on that. And so in this verse, he's, he's pointing out the good and bad. But that's not the only reason we're, we're judged. We're judged based on what did you do with Jesus. But then you're resurrected to your former body and then transformed into your eternal body. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, 
but we will all be changed. That verse is often found in many nurseries, church nurseries across the country. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Your body will be resurrected. I like to say it this way, that when the second coming of the Lord happens, by the way, you were not junk. God didn't make a junk, junk. He didn't make a mistake when he made you. He made you just the way he wanted you to be body, mind, and spirit, and while when you die, your body goes into the grave, there will be a resurrection of your body, it will be changed, it will be glorified, I don't know all of what that means, but I think it's a good thing, right, and when it's changed, it's changed without the effects of sin, right, no more gray hairs, no more counting fat grams, no no more ibuprofen, it will be your body, you'll be recognizable, some of you guys are like, that stinks. I kind of wanted Brad Pitt's body, man. Why do I have to get my body again? Well, maybe it'll be Brad Pitt's body. Maybe it'll be like 5'10", 195 or something like that. Maybe that's what we'll all be. No? All right. All right. All right. Close to 200, but you know what I'm saying. So we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, and our bodies will be glorified. What do we know about our resurrected bodies? 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of those who have died and been resurrected. A first fruit just simply means if you have a tree that has apples on it, the first fruit's an apple, the rest of the fruit is going to be what? It's going to be apples. They're going to look like that apple. And so when Jesus died and resurrected, we can make some conclusion about our resurrection bodies. Some things we can conclude. Number one, he was recognizable. Uh, remember at the tomb, Mary, after a moment, recognized Jesus uh, his disciples recognized Jesus, 500 others recognized Jesus. And so I think we're going to be recognizable, which I think is so great. Because when we get to heaven, I want to be able to recognize you guys. And I'm going to be like, hey, Sam, what's up? Big chest bump in heaven, man. This is awesome. We're together. And we're going to be embracing each other. And we're going to know each other. And we're going to be recognizable. Jesus also had a physical body. The Bible says that he was eating on the shore after he resurrected. And I don't know about you guys, but I like to eat. I mean, you, you say, well, are we going to eat in heaven? Well, the Bible says there's a wedding supper of the Lamb, gang. You can't have a wedding supper without food. And all God's people said, and it ain't going to be vegetables at all. It's just going to be like meat, man. We're going to eat some meat in heaven the way that God intended. And uh, I don't know. There'll be some wings, though, man. It's going to be some hot wings in heaven, you know, with no fat grams. Come back next week, you're going to learn more about heaven. But Anyway, you're going to be resurrected to your former body. You're going to be recognizable, and you're going to be transformed. It's going to be imperishable. It's going to be imperishable. It's going to be eternal. There's also going to be a reuniting of body, mind, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep in death. So you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. In other words, those who have already died, their spirits will come back with the Lord. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. In other words, some people aren't going to die and, you know, Jesus comes back. Some people are still going to be living here, like if he came back today. We're still walking around. He said, those who are still there, who are left until the coming of the Lord, they will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. But the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 
Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In other words, at the second coming, there will be this reuniting of body, mind, and spirit, the way God made you in the first place in a big glorified body. Anyone alive with, when Christ returns will be gathered from the earth, and all will be assembled with the, with the, resurrection, with the resurrected at God's judgment. Acts chapter 10 says, He commanded us to preach to people and testify that, that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And so there will be this judgment. The lost will be harvested and prepared for destruction. Matthew chapter um, 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat uh, sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Now, this is an analogy. The last message in this series in Revelation, we're, we're going to talk about Revelation week five, and we're going to go through kind of an overview of Revelation. But one of the things that's talked about at the end times is the rapture. And there's a lot of different views on the rapture. And what do people usually say about the rapture? They usually say believers are taken and non-believers are left, and there'll be a period of tribulation. This is what many believe. Other people believe, and scriptures like this lead them to believe this, that actually the harvesting is the harvesting of those who do not believe, and actually those who are believers will be left. Regardless, both are interesting theories. To me, it all happens at the same time, similar to the event in Matthew chapter 25 when he separates the sheep and the goats. It's all happening at the same time, but he simply says, I'm going to separate the sheep, and then I'm going to separate the goats, and we're going to bring them together, and we're all going to have judgment then. But regardless of what you believe about it, again, it's a non-salvation issue. The saved will be welcomed by Christ. The saved will be welcomed by Christ. He'll offer you that heavenly, eternal home, that final destination with Him. Uh, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servants. The resurrection of the dead is the hope for those who have the Christian faith. And it's a cornerstone doctrine of what we believe, that Jesus will come back and that we will be raised with him. Acts chapter 23, verse 6 says, I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And then the judgment. Every person will take a turn and will stand before the judgment seat of God. Good and bad, saints and sinners, to give an account for your actions in this life. What did you do with Jesus? And what did you do with the one and only life that I give you? That To hear the verdict of God about your final, eternal destination. And by the way, the judgment of God is an escapable, inescapable fact of life. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. This is what the scripture says. You will die on this earth and then you will face that judgment. An eternity in heaven or hell. For the saints, the most intimate fellowship is this relationship with God for eternity. Like the intimacy of loving and living in close quarters together. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 and 4 says, And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There is this intimacy, this close relationship with the Father. He will be with them. Revelation 22, verse 3 and 4. It says, no longer will there be any curse. What curse? The curse of death, the curse of sin. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads. We are now face to face with the Father. We are with Him for eternity. And friends, that is good news. Right now we say, boy, don't you wish we could just see Jesus right now? Don't you wish I could just touch Him and and reach out to Him? Have Him embrace you? Well, for all of eternity, the Bible says, there will be this relationship with God. You'll now be with Him. For the lost, it'll be an eternal banishment from the presence of God. Matthew 25, verse 41 says, Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It's a death that separates from our Heavenly Father and the blessings that are flowing from His presence. And then the Bible says there'll be a torment that will not end. Revelation 14, verse 9 through 11. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receive its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast or its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. We're going to talk more about that on week five. But friends, I want to encourage you. There's a lot of people today in the Christian world who are downplaying the scriptural teaching on the reality of, of, of hell. And they, they hesitate and they teach against it because their mind cannot conceive an eternity separated from God. And so they make it a complete figurative idea. Or they say, well, maybe you'll have another opportunity at some point. They don't like the idea of an eternity separated from God. And God doesn't like that idea either. That's the reason he went through so much so that Jesus would give his life, so that he would offer you salvation. But in the end, you have to decide, do I want God's great gift of salvation or do I want to reject that gift of salvation? It's all up to you. What will you decide? Now, I want to give you some tips on studying end times, all right? Give you some thoughts. These are just my thoughts. They're just encouragement to you. And first of all, I would encourage you, when you study the Bible on this, I would encourage you to really focus on those New Testament books that are clearly intended to instruct the church regarding the return of Christ. Look in the Gospels. Look in the book of Acts, the book of the Epistles. There are a lot of clear teaching that is about the end times that does not capture prophetic language and therefore confuse the issue at times. Use caution when seeking ideas about the second coming from, from the prophecy books of the Bible. Some believe, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, that they indicate mostly end times. I have a belief that most of those indicate the first coming of Christ since Christ did not come yet. That's a point that some could argue. But what I'm saying is that when we get into that kind of a thing and we we begin to say, well, if it's going to happen this way or in this time, I think we have to be cautious because sometimes we miss the main thing. A good rule of thumb is don't always expect the Old Testament prophets to say as much about the second coming since they hadn't yet seen the first coming. And also this apocalyptic language and symbolism can also be somewhat confusing 
when they think about this topic. The second idea is the book of Revelation. And again, we're going to talk about this week five. But the book of Revelation, to me, is a message of encouragement directed specifically, not to you and me, but directed specifically to seven real churches in Asia Minor. And those churches were going through times of tribulation and hardship. And God, Jesus was encouraging those churches. The message of Revelation, as we'll see, goes directly to those churches first. Then, secondly, it does have application to us. But we have to see it in its context. Who was it originally written to? So, when it comes to Revelation, also presented in apocalyptic visions and symbolism. you got to be careful. A good rule of thumb, don't expect the book of Revelation to try to encourage the first century churches with, with all, only talk about the distant future. In fact, as we're going to learn, the book of Revelation itself says it's about things that have happened, will ha- are happening, and will happen. It's not just about end times. The next thing I would say is, when it comes to speculation and schemes, a word to the wise, try not to get drawn into debates over peripheral issues of eschatology. Things like, here's the role of the Jews of the people at the end times, or here's a seven-year great tribulation, a political antichrist, a world war called Armageddon, a millennium age after the second coming. These kind of things, there are a lot of varying opinions on. But people get into debates over these things, and they miss the main thing. Several years ago, I was uh, back at the first church that I ever served with in Bluntville, Tennessee. And uh, back in my days when I was a hick, you know, really. And I was in Bluntville, Tennessee, and I had left that church. Now I was in a different church preaching. And I came back to visit a homecoming or something like that. And one of the elders and I were out in the car, and we were discussing end times. This was his big theme. He brought it up with me. It became kind of heated because we had a disagreement over some things, and I wasn't heated, but he definitely was. At one point in, the, in, the, in his conversation, he looks at me, points his finger, and says, Stephen, I will never hire another minister here who has a different view than what he has. And he begins to espouse his view. When he said that, I then took a pause, and I said, let me just ask you a simple question. When was the last time you led somebody to Christ? That was quite a poignant moment, and he didn't really appreciate it very much, but I thought it was kind of an important question, because the reality was he had become so distracted by end times conversation and end times debate with people that he had missed the main thing, which was evangelism and leading people to Christ. And so I'm just encouraging you to keep the main thing the main thing. It's not going to make a difference if you believe one thing or believe the other. Jesus is going to come in the way that he comes. So... Try not to get involved in uh, argumentative debates. The second thing I would say is don't buy into speculation about dates and events. Mark chapter 13, verse 32 says, But about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going in a way, and he leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. What's the message? The message is, don't speculate about times and dates. Not even the Son of Man knows the times or the day. What's the message? Be ready. Be prepared. No matter what, always be on alert. 
be on red alert all the time because he's going to come in his time when it's the right time. I would also say be suspicious of elaborate schemes and charts. I, don't, I would encourage you not to Google the phrase second coming. When you do, you're going to get just, I mean, inundated with all kinds of different things. And everybody's an expert. And they assign certain things in history and say, well, this is what happened then and this is the reason. And they go back and forth. I just think we have to be cautious because I've seen just through my short lifetime of people who they'll make a speculation and then that event actually happens but they miss the mark on it, and then they have to go back and retool again and say, no, that's not what actually what I meant. It's not really attached to that event. Oh, this, I'm going to update my theology. I just think our theology should be based on the Scripture. I think we should be careful with the elaborate schemes. I also think we should be cautious with popular Christian literature that poses as theological study. Now, there's a lot of popular books today, fictional books, that while they may help you in terms of motivating you to think about the second coming, I think you should be careful to not build a theology based on popular fictional works of of Christianity. Uh, Finally, at the end of the day, the test of time, time is going to be the ultimate judge of all of our speculations about the end times. And uh, I think some of you guys, you can feel free to reserve your opinion on eschatological issues until we're all gathered in heaven. And then we can look around and go, oh, that's what he meant. I get it now. And that's okay. That's all right. If that's your approach, that's fine. The bottom line is, I want to encourage you, we need to embrace the key biblical teachings regarding the second coming of Christ. And we need to be reading those. Why? Because they're going to remind us that this is not some far off distant, I don't know when it's going to happen. This is real. This is Jesus returning. And you need to be ready regardless. The Gospels are very clear on that. The Gospels are very clear. Secondly, I would encourage you, don't spend so much time looking for signs. Jesus' return will not be known to us in advance. And while we will see, and we'll see this in a couple weeks, there is an advancement of some very challenging things. We're going to look at those, and we need to be aware of those. But if you're out there trying to assign different signs and say, well, that must be it or this must be it, that could be sometimes an exercise in futility, I've learned. And finally, Just live a godly life that's ready for Christ's return no matter when. Ready for that moment because the true message is Jesus is coming back. And for those of us who are believers, that should provide us hope and encouragement. Because one day, he is going to return and take his people with him. He's going to run with us. Uh, Yesterday, we were at a cross-country meet. And it was Hannah's race, and she was running. She did a good job in the race. She was up toward the front. She came across the line 21 minutes or so. And uh, we, had, we were celebrating with her, and Lisa's mom and dad were there. My mom was there, and we were all celebrating, and Jason and Rebecca, and, and we were just high-fiving, good job, and good job to a few of her friends. Well, mom, after a few minutes, said, I'd like to go back to the finish line. I want to see that girl that I saw that was way behind the other girls. I want to cheer her on. I said, okay, let's go cheer her on. So we go over to the finish line, and I see there's a couple girls. She said, well, maybe they're done. I said, no, there they come. And two girls came running around, and we're at about 34 minutes now, and they come running around, and now there's only about 15 people there at the finish line, and they're applauding. Way to go, girls. Keep it up. And then mom said, well, that's not them. There must be another girl. I think there's another girl coming. And sure enough, there's a girl. She said, I think that's her. And there she comes, and, and she's one of those girls that maybe her mom and dad said, well, just try cross country. 
right? Just get out there and do something, right? And, and she's a little overweight, and she was running there, and she was really giving her her best effort. By this time, there were about 12 people there at the finish line. Everybody else had moved on long since then. They're applauding. Here she comes. She's coming around. Everybody's starting to celebrate her. And uh, mom's applying. So she said, well, that's probably it. Let, let's go ahead and go. I said, no, wait a minute. There's another girl coming, and there's another girl, and she starts running down. She comes around that big, long corner, and I start to see her, and now I see this man come up, and he's got his phone there, and he's just like this. He's just like this right beside us, just watching her, watching her all the way, and I, I'm like, I'm thinking, that's got to be her dad. They kind of look like each other, and she's running along, and mom looks up, and she says, oh, bless her heart, here she comes, and I kind of try to nudge her like, mom, I think that might be her dad, and, and he, maybe he doesn't want that on video, maybe he wants to be like, wow, this is amazing, and suddenly he's taking, and he says, he notices we're talking about her, and he goes, yeah, you know what, that's my girl, that's my baby, he says, and he says, you, she's got asthma, she barely makes it up the stairs, and this is the first meet I've been to, her mama couldn't come today, and he said, I'm taking her video now so I can show her mama at home, and there she comes, and we, we don't know what she does at practice, so we didn't know how she's going to do in this race, and he's just so proud, and as she's running around that corner, he's like, here she comes, and we're just standing back, just watching, now there's only about 10 people at the finish line, and here she comes, he's watching her all the way, now she comes around that corner, he begins to ignore our conversation, and begins to focus only on his daughter, and he starts to yell out to her, come Come on, baby. You can make it, baby. Come on. I'm with you. Come on. You're going to make it to the end. Come on. Come on. You're going to make it. Keep going. Keep going, baby. You got this. You got this, girl. And now he starts taking his phone. Now they're getting in the shooting. He's running with her. Come on, baby. Come on. You got this. You're going to make it. Come on. And he runs with her all the way to the finish line. And now these 12 people are like, come on. Come on, baby. You can make it. You can make it. She runs across that. And by the way, she picked up the pace at the end. She was sprinting for everything she had because her dad was running beside her. And I know you know where I'm going with this. Because one of the things that encourages me is I know no matter whether I am up, no matter whether I am down, whether I am discouraged or whether I'm in a good time, I know whether or not anybody else is with me or I'm on my own. I have a father who has his phone out, who is watching me along the way. He says, keep it going. Well done. Come on, brother. Come on, baby. Come on, my child. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Make it to the finish line. You can do it. I'm with you. And friends, that's the reason we look forward to the second coming. Because we have a Father who runs with us all the way to the finish line. And one day, Jesus is going to split the sky. And every eye will see Him. And every knee will bow. And the Father will separate the sheep from the, sheep from the goats. And He will say to those who have followed Him as His children, Well done, good and faithful servants. You made it to the end of the line. Well done. Well done. Well done. I'm your Father. I'm your Father. I'm running with you. Friends, that's why we study this. Don't get caught up in everything else. You stay focused on the prize. and You stay ready for that moment when Jesus returns. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. And God, we thank you that we have a Father who runs with us. God, we thank you that we have a God who loves us so much. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing or saying. But God, you, you see us coming. And you say, come on, you can make it. I'm so proud of you. Come on. It was, it was as if she was number one in the race. Because to him she was. So God, help us to be reminded of that today. Help us to be ready, God, at all times, at all moments. When you come, help us to look forward to it as a great celebration. But God, also, 
Help us to be reminded today of the reality of an eternity separated from God. Help that create within us an urgency, God, that when we think about our friends or families that, that are out of Christ, that do not know Christ, that this is a reality, that an eternity separated from God is, is something that we should all take to heart. We should do everything we can to encourage people to get on this journey with us. Because there is a truth. Because, God, you want to encourage others along the way. And so, God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your, for your word today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, listen, if you have never come to Christ, you've never said yes to Jesus, or if you're just not sure, you need to make that decision. Every Sunday we offer a type of an invitation. And say, well, why don't you come? I just wait down front. Not a lot of fanfare. If you want to come, you need to make that decision to confess Christ as Lord and repent of your sin. Even if you only have one sin in your life, that's, that still separates you from God, His holiness. You still need to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to live better. I want to live with your strength. You need to be baptized. Jesus said, go in all the world, baptize people, and then teach them to obey all that I've commanded. So that baptism is kind of that first resurrection. You die and you're resurrected to new life. So if you've never made that decision, you don't, don't take a chance on it. You need to make that decision and walk with him. I'll be waiting down here if you want to come talk to me about it. Of course, after service as well. Why don't you come? Let's sing.